0: Well, we've been in Exodus for a long time, and before that in Genesis, so I thought we'd jump to the New Testament. We're going to start going through Galatians. Um, So before you open up to Galatians, we're actually going to be in Acts today, which leads to Galatians, and I'll tell you why in a second. But as we move into that book, I I wanted to start out where Paul is writing, uh, or or who Paul is writing to. Uh, And that's why we're going to go to the book of Acts in Acts 13 you know, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they began the book of, of Acts, or I don't know if you know much about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is right after Christ, uh, Christ uh, passes away. What happens? How does the church get built? All those amazing things happen starting in the books of Acts, where where the Holy Spirit comes down upon the people and and all that kind of stuff. So then later on, Paul starts traveling. And uh, some of the areas, I I just threw up this map here, uh, just right above Jerusalem, in this area is the area that we're going to be talking about, and the book of Galatians, the people that he writes to, live in this area. It's a a region, and Paul and Barnabas are traveling through this region known as Galatia. It was settled by the Gauls, and that's why it was called Galatia. Uh, Later, Paul writes them this book. And it's really important to know who they are. So right now, they're meeting these people for the first time. And they're traveling through all these cities and and doing all these miracles. And God is just really, really working. And while they're there, they attend church. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go on vacation, well, I say this. Let me rephrase this. Before I had kids, when my wife and I went on vacation, we would actually visit other churches while we were there. You know, we had, if we were gone on a Sunday, it was a lot of fun just to go in and enjoy just taking in what God was doing at, at whatever church we were at and, and, and glean something off the sermons and so forth. Now with kids, it's a little more kind of, you know, depends on, on the situation. We, we may do that at different times. But that's what Paul and Barnabas would do. They would go and they would go into these church services, but don't think of it as Christian church services. They were Jews. They were were Christ-following Jews, so they would go into the synagogues. They would go into the little services that were going on there, and and the responses of this were on the extremes. You had all these different type of reactions to them, and what's interesting about these guys is they're not teenagers. These are middle-aged guys, and I dare say something like my age. It's getting there, you know, 49, almost 50, you know. Don't tell my wife she's hitting 50 this year, but don't tell her, so, you know. I won't say that she's older than I am, but, uh, you know, okay, by five months, but still, you know, we have to gotta get that jab in there. We love each other enough to do that, but, you know, these guys should be settled down. They should be taking care of their families, not young bucks anymore, in a sense, and here they are. They're excited to do this. They've taken a step out on faith, and they're traveling around for the Lord, So let's pick it up in chapter 13, verse 49 of Acts. It says, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews, incited of the God-fearing women of high standing, and the leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So what is happening here is Paul is, is going to these Jewish people, um, and, and you have some Jewish people who are following Paul and Barnabas around. They're totally just following them, and they're causing trouble. So Paul and Barnabas come into this town and minister to people, and other groups are are following them into the town and opposing them. And, and, you know, think of today's political climate, okay? (laughs) You can't go anywhere, no matter what political side you're on, and go somewhere in a public forum without somebody from the opposing team, in a sense, coming and saying something, right? Am I... Maybe you don't watch news. Okay, maybe that's probably good if you don't. But, you know, the, kind of the same concept, but on a religious standpoint. So, you know, now not all the Jews were against them, but many of Jews had come to know Jesus. I mean, look at Paul himself. He, you know, an original disciple, uh, all the original disciples were Jewish. And next week we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's conversion as we go into Galatians. But, but, you know, all these original, original Christians were, were first Jews. So let's not get the idea that the book is anti-Jewish. It just all comes to a head in, in Acts 15 and, and what, uh, what Jesus is trying to do. But now they're coming in, and, and they've stirred all these people up. And, you know, they take legal action against Paul and Barnabas, actually, and expel them from the city. And it says that Paul and Barnabas shook the, durse, uh, the, the dust from their feet, and moved on. This is a kind of a Jewish tradition, kind of a tough situation. You're in the middle of a tough situation. Our problem is we like to carry one situation into another situation. You know, that's the American way, right? No, it's really the human way. Maybe it's church. We take from one church, and we're really irritated, and we decide, okay, uh, this is not where I can worship. I need to go somewhere else. And and then we take that, that same attitude and go into a new church and bring that attitude with us, which can be difficult, right? It can cause problems in the new place. We do this with our family. We're upset with one family member. What do we do? We go to the other family members and start talking about it, right? We we bring that situation in there. It can be work. It can be school. It can be all these different things. Well, a tra- <coughs> Jewish tradition would be to to. Shake the dust off your feet. In other words, let me get rid of it. You know, you get something on your shoe and you're just like, get it off, get it off. So it gets off. And you move on, you move forward. In other words, you're not taking the same situation into another. This would be a good thing for us to learn to say this experience has hurt me or contaminated me. And therefore, I'm shaking the dust off my feet so I can move on. Moving on is going forward. It's not staying in the same place. Because I guarantee you, if you stay in that same place with the same attitude, you will never grow in the faith that you want to uh, to grow in. You will never deepen your relationship with the Lord if you continue to allow that whatever experience it was to haunt you through life. Because I guarantee you, everybody here has had some hurt in, in their life. I mean, I could ask you to raise your hands, but you would all raise your hands. Well, you're the pastor, Alan. You don't have hurts. Well, give me a break. I'm a human just like you. We all have things in our life that have hurt us, and we can either put those on our back and carry them through life, or we can shake the dust off our feet. We need to get to a situation where we can close that situation and not take that pain on, and, you know, not take the thoughts um, with me Like, like, you know, we need to have an attitude of, I'm just not going to talk about this anymore. We call that gossip, but you know, we, don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be told that we're sinning or anything, so let's just not talk about it. You know what I'm saying? So, so the question is, what do you talk about all the time that maybe you need to shake the dust off? You need to, to go to God and say, I give this to you. I'm going to leave it right here, and then when I leave, I'm not going to be talking about it anymore, and I'm not going to be thinking about it anymore. And over time, the Lord will just take that slowly out of your mind. Take it out of your mind. That's a good thing to be able to move on. It's important for us to move on, to end it, to shake off your feet and move on. Very healthy thing to do. So they move on and they end up in Iconium. And this is the area of Turkey, that region right there. Nice little uh, uh, town. It's still in the same spot, you know, roughly about 50,000 people. And it says here, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so uh, efficiently. That a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So here you have a whole bunch of Jews and Greeks who are believing. Okay, so you have all these, uh, you know, they've become Hellenized, so they're all kind of Greeks, they're kind of a a mixture of all this, and they start believing, and all these Jews uh, is what we call Masonic Jews, okay, uh, or Messianic Jews, in other words, Christian Jews, an exciting thing growing up, you know, uh, their whole life, they've been reading the Torah, they've been going, you know, through barn mitzvah, that's the idea of learning the Torah enough to the point where they're an adult, and they they get baptized in a sense, and after that, they start answering for their own, own actions. Uh, I think, we, you know, we expect now like 30-year-olds to finally answer for their own actions. These were 13 and 14-year-olds that had to grow up enough to answer for their own actions. So everything they've learned is geared toward the Messiah, and finding out Jesus is the Messiah is exciting to them, and here you have a good mix, a good group of people. And it goes on in verse 2, and it says, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. Now, what caught my attention here is the fact that they don't do what? They don't just shake off the dirt off their feet and leave. You see, sometimes we we need to do that, that situation where it's hurt us, where we just got to go, I'm I'm done with this situation, I need to walk away from this situation. Other times we have to stand firm in what we believe and say, no, this is what I'm trying to say here, and this is what they do. They don't just leave every time it got tough. That would just be running away, and that's also a negative thing in our life if we run away, you know, every time something happens. But they stayed until it was time to go. So they could teach the young guys. They could teach the young people. And these are the people who they're going to write the book of Galatians to. It says, it goes on, it says, The Lord who can confirm the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And this is how the Lord operates. See, our job is not to grant the signs and wonders. That's the Lord doing that. Our job is to present the grace to others so we're not responsible for the signs and wonders we don't have to work up to you know to get the holy spirit we don't have to be out there screaming in the name of jesus and knocking people over and stuff. that's god's role okay our (coughs) our role is to point toward the lord saying he's the one that can heal you he's the one that can get you through the situation he is the one who gives you true life that's our job so we don't make up this mumbo jumbo about healing you know, someone's marriage or bringing, you know, or, or bringing God into this situation or helping with some finances. Our job is to point them back to the Lord and tell others that He can help them. We say, "Lord, I'm yours." That is our job. So we pray, believing that the Lord is there to help. And in this case, and you know, with any case that there's a decision, a decision to be made you know, in a crisis, we should gather up and we should pray, whether it's financial or whether it's family or whether it's friends, whatever it is, and we plug people into the grace of God. So if you're in need of a miracle today, what should you you be doing? Praying. That's right. You could be the next sign and wonder in this body. We like to rate miracles, don't we? Build marriage. Yay, that's really cool. Cure to cancer. Wow. You see my point? Where God gives us miracles all the time. We just have to open our eyes and look at it. We need to see the signs and wonders that the Lord gives us. I believe they happen a lot more than we think. We just have to open our eyes and view them and see them. So, like getting out in nature and opening your eyes to this creation. I mean, this creation is nothing like the original creation. Isn't it amazing? This creation that we get to go to when we go to different places, whether it's under the... I mean, you know I love Hawaii and snorkeling and stuff like that. But, but you know, the, the amazing things underwater are just as amazing things that we can go to Yosemite and see this creation. And it's nothing compared to what the Lord originally had made. We just have to open our eyes and see what God has done. Verse four it says the people of the city were divided. In other words, everybody's talking about what's going on. Some sided with the Jews, other with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. I love the word mistreat them. Like, no, that means beat them up, you know. But they found out about it and they fled to like. Lyconian, uh, the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continue to preach the good news. Their, their motto is kind of like my motto. If you can avoid being beat up, you should. You know, that's a good thing. So they move on. And I don't think they're being chicken. I don't think they're just, they're just being wise here. They're following the Holy Spirit. And it's very important for us to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And you can say, well, how do I know the Holy Spirit is prompting me? Well, what is the last thing he's told you to do? Did you do it? Interesting. I've talked about this kind of before. some of us are still stuck going well Lord talk to me Lord talk to me Lord talk to me and the Lord's going I did I told you to do this when we got back from Yosemite I got everything out of the car except for everything that was in Brandon's seat you know my nine year old and I said Brandon the the car's cleaned out except for your seat okay hey Brandon everything's cleaned out except for your seat okay good thanks for letting me know I just let it go five minutes later. Brandon, get out to the car, okay? And this is, you know, sometimes we want to hear from the Lord, and the Lord spoke to us. He's told us to do something, or he's told us everything's cleaned up except for your spot or whatever it is. And we're like, great, but God, aren't you going to talk to me? And God's like, yeah, go clean, go do the thing I already told you to do. So we have to to ask, has the Lord told us to do something we haven't done? Go back and do that, and then maybe you'll start to understand his voice a little bit better. So they're twenty miles away, and they're going to come back. But it says in verse eight, in Lystra, there's sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. You can imagine his his family's feeling, you know, the dad and the mom and stuff, when other children, uh, you know, are running around, or beginning to walk, their son is not. You know, maybe was it obvious that he couldn't walk, or were his legs short? We don't really know, but we just know that he couldn't walk. Verse 9, it said, he listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that point, the man jumped up and began to walk. Well, this is great. I mean, Paul's discernment about this guy, this is a miracle in itself. How did Paul connect with this person? How did Paul know that this person needed to be healed? Well, that's from the Holy Spirit. As Paul knowing the voice of God and being able to to ascertain, okay, God wants me to say this. God wants me to do this. I see that you have faith. You need to be healed. Paul doesn't go, well, I just hope it happens for you. No, Paul gets up, you know, he tells the guy, stand up and walk. We need to activate our faith sometimes. Paul gets to, to get this guy to do this, and it's exciting to be used by God. If you've ever been used by God in one situation or another, but but you know it's exciting. But imagine yourself as the guy. Be that guy for a moment. Be the one who cannot walk, and then comes the time when the Lord says, "Get up and walk." Do you have enough faith to get up and walk? Do you have enough faith? Well, some of us go, well, not that simple. Do you know how old I am? I mean, I haven't had the use of my legs. I'm not a child anymore. I don't know how to walk. My legs have never worked. I mean, I'd be in physical therapy for years for this to happen. Paul, you know, says, how about try to stand up? Instead of standing up just try. No, Paul doesn't do that. But us in the 21st century, we would do this. Well, well, Paul, my inner child was also crippled. I'm going to need counseling to go, I mean, years of counseling to go along with this, you know, that's how we think. But the Lord comes and says, it's time for you to stand up and walk. And we can either use an excuse or we can stand up and walk, whatever the situation is. And we say, Lord, this is impossible. And he goes, no, it's, it's not impossible. I can do miracles. You can be a part of that miracle. Maybe the Lord's talking to you today. Maybe you're the one that's stuck and is afraid to take that step of faith. Why? Because we're afraid. Maybe it's because we don't recognize the voice of God. Or maybe it's just wishful thinking on our part. Or maybe we've asked him before and he said no. See, we just didn't realize he was saying, not yet. Or maybe we think we're just wrong. Even if all that is true, wouldn't it be worth to risk to say to the Lord, yeah, I think it's impossible, but I think with you, I think with you, you can heal my family. I think with you, you can heal my health. I think with you, you can heal my job or my finances. It is out of control and, and maybe you feel the Spirit of God is prompting you right now and, and you think maybe he's talking to you. Well, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't want to be the roadblock to what God is trying to do in your life just because you think you're going to look silly or stupid. You know, it, it's not silly to have faith. It's not silly to, to trust in the Lord. The news media may make fun of you, the world may make fun of you, but that's because they don't believe. So they think it's silly, but it's not. Take whatever steps you need to take in whatever situation it is so you can rise and you can walk. And one day, God can do the miracle in your life right then and there. Now, just for kicks, how many of you feel maybe the Lord is speaking to you right now? Yeah, I see some hands. That's right. The Lord can heal whatever's going on. But repeat after me. I promise to obey the Lord. (laughs) Why don't we all say that together? I promise to obey the Lord. Yeah, we kind of half-hearted said that, didn't we? How about we try it again? I promise to obey the Lord. You know, every so often I get my children to do that. Repeat after me. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes the Lord has to do that with us. Okay, Alan, Alan, you're not you're not listening. Come here, come here. Stand right. No, no, no. Stand right here. Don't walk away. Don't no no no. Eyes on me. I do this with Grayson all the time. Cause I get Grayson come stand by me and he goes. And I'm like, No, no, no. Eyes listen to me. Now repeat. Now what did I say? You know? Sometimes we, we act like children before the Lord and the Lord's sitting there going, I want you to do this. I want you, I want you to activate your faith, but you've got to believe in me. You've got to promise me you're going to do this stuff. This guy had the faith, and he took the, apostle, uh, you know, took the apostle Paul to come along and tell him, you have enough faith to do this. Verse 11, it goes on, it says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was a chief speaker. Now, this happened to me last week at Walmart. I'm just walking around, no one, okay, I thought I'd throw that out there, but, you know, Zeus and Hermes, they're the Roman's god that, you know, of Jupiter and and Mercury. Now, why are they doing this? Well, this region has a a legend that... uh, and they had a, uh, they had temples all over the place, and they had a temple to the god of Zeus, the god Zeus, there you know the false god, but it revolved around their life kind of revolved around these temples and everything and they had two trees that were growing in front of the temple and according to to legend, one was named after Zeus and the other one was named after Hermes because they they both visited the temple okay and, and no one was nice to them except the, the, except this couple. Uh, Philemon and uh, Bobkis. so they were, so they left and they blessed this couple and it turned their their cottage into this temple. I mean you see how convoluted it all gets okay you know and, and so when the couple died it, it turned these couples into trees. So you have Zeus and Hermes, you know, the trees you know, and these two people it's just all weird. But everyone else turned into frogs. They said. So I mean, you can see how it just kind of gets convoluted. So what is going on here is they they aren't going to take the same chance. They're like, I'm not going to be turned into a frog. Hey, these guys, they they did something. That, that must be Zeus. That must be Hermes. Let's 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 worship them. So they they think there's uh, Zeus and Hermes there. In verse 13, it says the priest uh, the priest of uh, Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city. Uh, Gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they thought, this is great. This is going to be awesome. Get some credibility here. Maybe people will start listening to us. We'll get a TV show out of it. You know, maybe more people can see. No. They said they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? You know, it took Paul and Barnabas a while to figure out what was going on. Why? Well, you had a language barrier. You ever gone to another country, and, and <clears throat> you think you're tracking to what people say, and then you realize, I have no clue what they just said, you know. It's, it's just awesome. <laughs> so the language, and they say, we too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to a living God. And what they're saying is very offensive. They're pointing to the temple. They're pointing to these false gods. And they're saying, you need to turn to the real God, not those things. It goes on, and said, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he, he let all nations go their own way. Now, let's stop and look at a couple of things here. They point these guys to the real God, which is always the first thing that we should do. The miracle happens. We should say, "Hey, let me tell you the God who created that miracle, that allowed that miracle to happen." Okay, they point to the real God. They don't allow them, uh, you know, them to put the, uh, their preconceived ideas. They don't want to become little gods. They don't want to, you know, do all this. They they don't want it to go against what they believe. We're not dealing with people who are making us into gods on a daily basis, are we? Anybody make you into a god lately? No. Okay. But what we are dealing with are definitions. We should not allow the community to define who we are. We should not allow anyone to say, we know who you are and why you are here. This is what the media is doing, and I'm not trying to be anti-media and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying this is what the world does. They try to define you as a Christian as this is who you are, and this is your attitude. You hate everybody because you believe in that God. You hate everybody because the Bible says this, so therefore you believe it, so therefore you must have hate in your life. Now, as Christians, should we have hate in our life? No. What is Paul going to say over and over and over? Grace and mercy. Paul understood grace and mercy And we're going to talk about that next week a little bit, how Paul went and persecuted people and killed people in the name of God, which he was wrong, and Christ still came to him and said, you are now my apostle. Paul understood grace, so therefore he could go out and tell people about grace and the amount that God has for them. But out in the world we say, brother, you need to be sanctified. You, you know, are you saved? Is the is spirit you know, talking or, or is it the flesh? And we start s- speaking all this Christianese that people don't understand. So Paul and Barnabas, they're talking to, to Gentiles that don't understand these, these words that people are using. So what do they do? They talk about God in a different way so Gentiles could understand About God. We have to figure out how do we explain to the world about God in a way that that maybe is not so offensive. And I'm not talking about watering down the gospel. We need to get into word and we need to say this is what we believe, this is what we do not believe, because the word of God says it. Okay, I didn't come up with this stuff. God is God, and He's the one that gets to choose what we should believe in, okay? So if I say I'm a follower of that God, I have to follow what God has written. But we gotta do it with grace. We gotta do it with mercy. We don't have to have a bible in our hands to lead someone to the lord. We need to show them that god exists. Show them creation because he is the creator. Most people believe that something created this world. Okay? One way or the other something happened <clears throat> and it was created. But but you know, this is the progression that Paul will use over and over and over. He will say there is a god, but it's a god that's unknown to you that created this. This God is the creator of everything. And then eventually he'll get to a point and he says, now let me tell you about Jesus. The same God came down to this earth. His is God coming to have a relationship with us because God is so holy, he can't be with us. So therefore Jesus makes us holy, so therefore we can be with God. You, you see a progression there. This is a gospel, a gospel message without us you know, shouting through John 3.16 in somebody's face, okay? In our, or at the game, we always got to have the John 3.16 at whatever game, you know? My brother, he sent me a picture this morning, and I'm like, well, why aren't you in church? But that's a whole other thing. He's at NASCAR in Florida, okay? Uh, it's his first NASCAR he's going to, and I'm sure somebody's going to have a John 3.16 sign somewhere, you know? Let's not shove the Bible down people's face, we can do it in gentler ways, by showing grace and mercy and love to other people. He goes on and says in verse 17, Yet he has not left himself without testimony. In other words, he just didn't create and leave. Our God is involved. He has shown kindness by giving, a, uh, by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and food and fills your hearts with joy. In other words, God is alive. He is our creator. He is merciful, he is patient, and he is a provider. Even though uh, even with these words, they have difficulty keeping the cr- they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I mean, <laughs> these guys, you got to love them, right? Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Wow. Now, we don't have people going around stoning us, do we? In parts of this world, you still do. If you're a Christian in some parts of the the Middle East and and so forth, I mean, they'll stone you. Here, Paul, they thought he was dead. It says in verse 20, but after the disciples had gathered around him, in other words, you had Eunice there, you had Lois there, you had Timothy, uh, so grandma, mom, and son, he got back up, or he got up and went back into the city. This guy's incredible. They stone you till they think you're dead. They drag you out of the city. You can't get up. And when you know, they go back into to the city, you get up and you follow them. I mean, this is one tough dude, right? In his 50s. I'm sitting there going, somebody stoned me. I'm probably going to lay there for a while, you know? Man. This crowd tried to defy him. And he got back up. He didn't allow it. They tried to stone him the next day. He went right back in there again. You know, sometimes this is what leadership has to do. And when you are in leadership, in whatever position of leadership you are in, you can't allow the crowd to determine what to do all the time. You can't have approval you know issues if you're gonna be a leader. Well, I mean, you can have them, but you'll have to deal with those approval issues. You know what I'm saying? You can't be a leader because you want to be liked. You can't be a parent and want to be liked. Because sometimes you gotta come down and say, No, I'm the parent, you are the child. Now, how many of us growing up hated that? You know what I'm saying? You're shaking your heads. You don't have to raise your hand. But you understand what I'm saying. You hated it when your parents parented you and you just because you wanted to do what you wanted to do. But sometimes parents gotta be the parent. The leader's gotta be the leader. Because half the time it'll be fun, and half the time they'll question why you're even in the leadership position. The same crowd trying to defy you, know, defy you one day is trying to, su- or, or, I'm sorry, the, the same, sometimes I read my words and it gets all mixed up in my head. But, but the same crowd that's trying to deify you one day, trying to make you into a god, it's the same crowd that may try to stone you the next day. You know it's very important to turn your back on the crowd to lead the orchestra. You can't be watching the crowd and lead the orchestra at the same time. You have to do, uh, you know, you have to do that if God has called you to lead in certain areas. Now this doesn't mean you ignore people. You get advice, but it's not for approval. This is why someone going into marriage thinking, "Well, they will make me whole now. They will correct my faults." Are you going into the marriage going, "Well"? you know, I'll correct this area in their life. Well, no, they're usually already solidified in whatever area it is, and you're just going to have to deal with it in marriage, you know? Leadership can be a lonely place at times. If you've ever been a leader, you understand that. But only if the person is not in the Word and not spending time with the Lord. Because the more time you're with Him, the less human approval you are going to need. And that's when you're able to lead. That's where, you know, where really God can take the lead. And we're like, well, Lord, this is, you know, is this how you treat your friends? So if you crave leadership, you have to, you have to pray about it. If you are in leadership, you have to, to know who you are in the Lord first. The way to figure it out if I'm accepted, is to figure out if I'm accepted in Christ. It goes the same for approval. So whether it's, you know, talking about working with children or junior high or high school or or men's ministry or women's ministry or heart ministry or anywhere else, you've got to deal with your approval, uh, you know, approval issues the way these guys did. They threw out the high grades and the low grades in order to get to the curve in a sense. Crowd stones them, they go back. Crowds deify them, they rebuke them. Why? They don't need the crowd's approval. They know who they are in Christ. Most of us deal with our approval issues, you know, uh, <laughs> or most of us have to deal with our approval issues because of our parents, right? Now, I'm not a blame the parents type of guy, but this one issue is connected in how much your parents said good job. Okay? Okay? Now, they say that the the kids that turn out better are the parents that stay on top of their kids all the time. But the problem with that is if you do that too much, the kid gets this complex of, man, my parents just, I, I don't even know if they love me. I don't even know if I'm doing a good job. See, as a parent, you have to keep saying good job, great job. So if you're a parent, make sure you're telling your kid these things. It's another way to say I love you and I accept you without always going I love you. Because what junior higher loves parents to say I love you is they're trying to get out of the car and going to school, right? None of them do. They're like, Mom, be quiet. Dad, no. Not in front of other people. But to say you're doing a great job, that's just another way of saying that. So if we're a parent, no matter what age, we need to just be saying these things. But what if our parents are dead? What if they've died already? Or maybe you don't have a parent. Whatever happened in your life, the situation was a little different. That's hard. That's where we go to Jesus, and he's our parent. He's the one that says, great job. He's the one that says, you're doing good. Okay, yeah, you messed up there. We'll work on that, but you're still doing good. You're trying. I mean, I had to convince Brandon that hitting the ball two out of ten times as a, as a you know, six-year-old is a pretty good thing you know, when somebody's pitching to you because the pros, I mean, they can't even do it three out of ten times. You know what I'm saying? But you know, as a little kid, you think, man, I, I'm going to hit that ball every time, and it's, it's going to be a home run every time. And In reality, that's not how life is. Jesus comes and says, Alan, two out of ten, okay, you're doing good, but here, let's work on this, stand like this, do this, do that. He's the one that gives us that approval. See, the leadership needs cannot and should not be met by those that they lead. The leader gets his needs met by the Lord, and that's important in all aspects of life. Now, Paul and Barnabas have enjoyed their their ministries. In fact, they're fixing to, to go back to their home church, uh, where they really enjoy uh, ministry there, and, and it's nice to go back to a place that you really loved and stuff. My wife and I, when we go back to Texas, we go back to uh, you know to her church. I work for her church, and it's nice to have all the people just come up. They just love you to death, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And the church that I grew up in, I take my mom to church and stuff, and all the people come over and stuff. You know, it's nice to go home in a sense, and in, in that way, and that's what they'll do here later on. But it says here, the in, um let's see. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby in uh, verse 20, 21 here. They preached the good news in that, the city, in that city and won large numbers of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. What's interesting is some of these people caused the hardships. Some of these people were probably the ones that were out there beating, them, you know, beating uh, Paul up and and taking him out of the city, or at least watching and stuff, you know. And now they're back, and then they're encouraging these same people. Verse twenty three: Paul and Barnabas appointed le- elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through, um, you know, a couple of cities here that I can't pronounce. And when they were, uh, you know, they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. Verse 26, it says, From Atalia they sailed to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had compl- uh, completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that they had, uh, God had done through them and how he had opened the doors of faith the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So through this time, now we only hit a little bit, of, a bit of it, but they traveled eighteen months on what they call what you would call Paul's first missionary journey, telling people about Christ. They traveled over fourteen thousand—I mean, fourteen hundred, not thousand, fourteen hundred miles by foot, by boat, and by horseback. Sometimes met all kinds of people and they shared the gospel wherever they went and now they're back home and they're going to stay home for about a year in their fellowship and this is where paul starts to sit down and starts writing a book to the uh, to the galatians he writes to his friends he writes to the leadership and he gives them great advice he reminds them of the grace and mercy that he received that they should be giving to other people for them to step out in faith they're writing people who saw great and wonderful miracles and, the, and he's reminding the, them that those miracles didn't come from Zeus and Hermes. They came from the creator of this world, the God of the universe, and Jesus Christ. And that is what he's going to do through the book of Galatians that we will enter into next week. So why don't we, uh, why don't we pray? Lord, I, just, uh, I thank you for the words of Paul. I thank you for the ministry of a man who at one point uh, hated the people that represented you. That literally killed people who represented you. I thank you for your, your mercy and grace to him. That you met him on the, on the road, the Damascus Road. That you showed him how he was persecuting your people. And what a difference it made to this world. Our church would not be here today without the man that we know as of Paul. Because of him, the Gentiles came to know you, Lord, and we're so thankful for that. We pray as we get into the book of Galatians that you remind us that you were in charge, and you want us to give the same grace and mercy to others that you have given to us. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May he bless you in your walk. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.